Please now turn in your Bibles to the book of Judges, uh, chapter 6 and verse 11. You can find this on page 283. If you're using the Pew Bible, I'll be reading from the New King James Version here, which is the same translation that you have in the Pew. For those of you visiting with us, we have been working our way through this book. And uh, last week we uh, began uh, chapter 6 just by looking at the the very serious situation that Israel had fallen into as a result, again, of their turning away from the Lord, uh, turning to the idols of the land, and the Lord sending this great horde of people who would just come into the land at the time of the harvest and eat all the food. And so it's in that context then that we're introduced uh, to our fifth judge here in the series, uh, Gideon. So let's give attention now to God's Word. I'll begin at verse 11 and read down to verse 24. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree which was in Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Ebiezrite, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, O my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles which our fathers told us about, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? So he said to him, O my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. Then he said to him, If now I have found favor in your sight, then show me a sign that it is you who talk with me. Do not depart from here, I pray, until I come to you and bring out my offering and set it before you. And he said, I will wait until you come back. So Gideon went in and prepared a young goat and unleavened bread from an ephah of flour. The meat he put in a basket and he put the broth in a pot and he brought them out to him under the terebinth tree and presented them. The angel of God said to him, take the meat and the unleavened bread and lay them on this rock and pour out the broth. And he did so. Then the angel of the Lord put out the end of his staff that was in his hand and touched the meat and the unleavened bread and fire rose out of the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened bread and the angel of the Lord departed out of his sight. Now Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord. So Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. Then the Lord said to him, Peace be with you. Do not fear. You shall not die. So Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it, The Lord is Peace. To this day, it is still in Ophrah of the Abiezrites. And there will in the reading of God's word. May God bless his word to us as we think about it together this morning. Well, a week before last, on the Thursday, uh, my youngest daughter was reluctant to go to school. And I thought this was somewhat puzzling because it was Pastor's Appreciation Day at her school, Lighthouse Christian Academy. I thought, what's wrong? You don't want to see the pastors? And of course, that wasn't it. It was that uh, her little band 
of which she is the only trumpet player, was going to have to perform in front of all the pastors. And it was actually because she, she cared quite a lot about what the pastors thought of her trumpet performance. And often this is the way. We, uh, we're fearful about sort of a, a difficult situation, and that can allow doubt to creep into our mind. What if I mess this up? And then uh, that can lead us to be sort of reluctant uh, to go out and try something or to do something. Now, uh, Jane was able to pull it all together and played wonderfully. So that story ended well. But it, it's really uh, common for us. It was common for the people in the day of the judges and certainly uh, common in particular in Gideon's life. Gideon was a man who saw what was going on and uh, he was fearful. And uh, quite frankly, he had a lot to be afraid of, but that fear produced in him a doubt about God and who God was and what God was able to do. And that doubt then uh, was somewhat crippling in terms of his ability uh, to serve. He was reluctant. And so over and against this, God wants us to see who he is and to focus on what he's doing and what he can accomplish through us. And so as we look at the passage, we'll see God's remarkable patience uh, with Gideon and how God makes it very clear uh, that he is the one who is at work. He is the one giving peace to his people and he is the one in whom we need to trust. And so as we look at the passage, the main point I want us to see, it's in the outline in your bulletin there, that fear and doubt can make you reluctant to serve God, but that Jesus gives you peace with God and the confidence that you need. And children, if you'd like to draw a picture, you might draw a picture here of Gideon working on his father's farm. That's what he's doing when we meet him. And what does uh, what do we learn about Gideon as God calls him here to serve? The first thing I'd like you to note, if you want to look at the outline, you can see how we've laid it out there, that fear and doubt can make you reluctant to serve God. Looking here specifically at verses 11 to 13, when uh, we are introduced to Gideon in verse 11, it says that uh, he is uh, there at his father's land and he is threshing wheat in the wine press. Now, uh, wheat would typically be threshed. This is where they throw it up in the air so that the chaff would blow away and the grain would fall to the ground. And that would be done on a hillside, uh, uh, somewhere where the wind could blow. And so there was a lot of space. So the fact that he's doing this in a wine press, which would be a sort of a stone basin uh, where they would trot out the grapes and collect the juice, uh, shows two things. It shows on the one hand, as it says in the text, he's terrified, he's afraid that the Midianites are going to find him and take his grain. But then it also probably implies that there isn't a whole lot of grain uh, to work with anyway because he's able to do it in the wine press. And so it's in that context that we see uh, the angel of the Lord, this mysterious stranger who appears uh, to Gideon. And of course we know from last week the, the situation that all of these hordes of nomadic people are coming into the land and just squatting on it and taking all of their livelihood away from them. And so uh, we're introduced to this character in verse 12 who's called the angel of the Lord. An angel literally means messenger. So at one level, this is a messenger of God, Yahweh, coming to speak to Gideon. 
But then if you look in verse 14, the angel of the Lord is described as the Lord. And so this person is at the same time God's messenger and God himself. And because of this, uh, most commentators believe that this is a depiction of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is a what we would call a pre-incarnation appearance of the second person in the Trinity. So God the Son, who has existed from all eternity past, appears at a number of places in the Old Testament in a human form prior to the incarnation where he takes on a human body and soul permanently and which he continues to have to this day. And this seems to be who, in fact, is coming to meet with Gideon. And if that is the case, we see here that the point is that the Lord would call Gideon to service, to rise up and to lead the people in throwing off their oppressors. And it's quite clear, if you look down in the subsequent verses, Gideon wants no part of this assignment. He doesn't want any part of this at all. In particular, he says in verse 13, Oh my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? So his, um, his, his prevailing approach here is to look at the data, seven years of oppression, and to say, okay, if you look at the suffering, this manifestly proves that God has abandoned us. God is not with us anymore. He mentions that our fathers have told us about the great things God did in Egypt. Uh, so he's heard these stories about the Exodus. But clearly, God's not doing any miracles today. We're getting all our food stolen. God must have forsaken us. Um, he doesn't believe God is even with his people. Now, I want to ask the children, uh, have you ever stayed with your parents at a hotel? Maybe you were traveling and you had to stay in a hotel. Okay, so most of us have at least had that happen once or twice. All right, we see some hands raised. Very good, very good. So have you ever opened the drawer uh, to the bedside table uh, in the hotel room? And uh, what would you find there if you open the, uh, the, 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 the drawer to the bedside table? Does anyone know? You know? Wood. Okay. That's one guess. Yes. A Bible. So that's what I had in mind, Augie, actually was a Bible. Uh, that's because of an organization that was started in 1899 called the Gideons International. And this group of Christian uh, businessmen, and originally there are a lot of traveling businessmen, uh, got a vision uh, for... Uh, making the Bible as widely available as it can be made. And, and, and they say that at this point, over 120 years later, they have given away over 2 billion copies of God's Word all over the world uh, to people. And it, it's, it's interesting that the Gideons chose Gideon to be sort of... Um, uh, their mascot, if you will, like they named the organization after Gideon. And perhaps this is because uh, Gideon, as we're going to see later, does a lot with a little resources. I'm not exactly sure. But our sense is that uh, Gideon is a, a heroic man of great accomplishment. And so, of course, we would name a ministry after Gideon. And yet, as we are meeting Gideon here in this passage today, that's not the person that we are meeting at all. We're meeting a person who looks around him 
He lives by faith, I'm sorry, by sight rather than faith. He sees the circumstances. He concludes God's completely abandoned us. So he's willing to just eke out his meager existence, hiding from the enemy, threshing out his grain. There's absolutely nothing heroic about this guy. It's very interesting when you read some commentators trying to explain why God chose Gideon. And uh, and trying to dis- to sort of describe Gideon. Well, he showed great uh, uh, insight in being able to thresh this grain in the wine press and these kinds of things to sort of make him into a hero that had some innate characteristics. And that's not the point. The point is he's a lot like you and me. He, he's just a regular guy who's actually pretty much afraid, doubts that God's there, and is just trying to keep his head down and eke out an existence. And this is often what can happen to us, if, especially when difficulties come into our lives and we start to think God is not with us anymore. And the, the, this chapter at the beginning told us their difficulties were because God was with them, because God was trying to turn their hearts back to him. And so we need to be very careful about this similar kind of thinking. But we need to admit that sometimes fear leads to doubt, leads to reluctance to serve God. Secondly, though, we see here how God so wonderfully overcomes your reluctance by turning your attention away from your insufficiencies toward his sufficiency. So the angel proceeds here to talk to Gideon. And and it's almost comical, right? The, The angel says, the Lord is with you. And Gideon says, no, he's not. And the angel says, you are a mighty man of valor. And he says, no, I'm not. And the Lord says, go and save Israel. And he sort of says, who, me? Right? So, so at every point, he's, he's not buying this at all. Gideon's focus, rather, is on the prevailing conditions. He sees the people hiding in caves, as we read about last week, barely having enough food uh, to eat. He looks at himself in, in verse 15. Oh my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh. Whoever heard of a hero from Manasseh in the first place? And we're just a small clan within Manasseh. And I'm the least in my father's house. He, he looks at himself. He looks at his abilities. He looks at the situation. He looks at the things arrayed against him. And he sees uh, absolutely no hope. And against this... God tries to redirect his vision to God's resources instead of looking at his own resources. So God presents his view of the situation. And it is fascinating that God calls him a mighty man of valor. Uh, In God's eyes, this is who Gideon actually is. The one who is going to save Israel, he says. Uh, Ralph Davis, in speaking about this, commenting on this passage, said, Against Gideon's inadequacies, Yahweh stacks his adequacy. And and that is a helpful way to think about it. Uh, He says in verse 14, Go in this might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? This is fascinating. Go in this might. You, the man who's hiding in fear, threshing your wheat in the wine press, go in your might and you will have success. God is telling him, I am the one who is sending you. I am the one. Arthur Kundal commenting on this says, The Lord saw 
not only the man that was weak and timorous, but the man that could be, and we should add, by God's grace, strong, resolute, and courageous. I'm guessing that most of us would hesitate if somebody came to you and called you mighty man, mighty woman, mighty young person of valor. Because we don't feel like a mighty person of valor, at least most of the time. This is very similar to what happened when God approached Moses. Right? And what did Moses say? Right? The people won't listen to me. Pharaoh won't listen to me. I don't talk good. Right? He, he had all these reasons why he couldn't do it. And if Moses, who was a prince, an Egyptian prince at the time, uh, couldn't do it, right? people like you and me uh, aren't able to do it also either. And, and so it, it's not a surprise that we often feel inadequate for what God has called us to do. And whether that's to be a faithful Christian spouse or a parent or a student at the university or an employee or an older person facing the challenges of aging, Jesus comes to you and he tells you who you really are in him. He says you are a mighty man of valor. That's his opinion. And it's not because that's your innate gifts or your innate inclination. It's because this is what he can do in and through us. That scripture we read is our call to worship. You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people. That's what God says about you. A royal priesthood. Kings and queens and priests. And the problem we have all too often is we believe the lies that the world tells us about who we are and who our own conscience tells us we are and we don't believe what God's word says that we are. And God, because he is active in us, makes us into the people he intends for us to be. This is one reason why it's so important we're regularly reading the scripture and coming to worship to be reminded again and again what God says about his people. So here we see Jesus refocusing Gideon away from Gideon's insufficiency to focus on God's all sufficiency. And this is what the Lord does for us as well. Thirdly, in fact, we see that Jesus' promise to be with you is all that you really need. In verse 16, the Lord says to him, Surely I will be with you. And you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. How can this angel of the Lord say that Gideon will have victory? Very simple. Because the angel of the Lord is going to be there in the midst of this whole situation. And again, who is it that's promising to be with Gideon? It is the second person in the Trinity. It is the all-powerful God who was the agent of God in creation, who sustains the world, who rules over all things. This is the one who has also promised to be with you. And this is why we can have confidence 
in all situations. Uh, children, I'm sure if you have a difficult homework assignment, you're, you're trying, you're having trouble, and that can produce a lot of anxiety and perhaps even some doubt in your minds. You get mom or dad to come over and sit next to you, and uh, as long as it's not your math homework, uh, there's a certain confidence there, right, that we will get this figured out, that mom and dad are here and we will solve this problem. Similarly, if you're afraid at night, Just knowing that your mom or your dad is with you gives you incredible sense of comfort and strength. And this may even be um, in situations where your mom or dad can't really do anything about what's going on. A terrible storm, a tornado, or something like that. It's not like mom or dad can stop a tornado. Uh, And yet just being being with them gives a certain sense of comfort. So how much more then, as we think about the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who actually is able to rule over the tornadoes, the hurricanes, and everything else that life may throw at us, that he's the one who promises to be with you, which means that absolutely nothing can happen to you apart from his perfect will and plan for you. Jesus being with us makes all the difference in our lives. Ralph Davis commenting on this says, Everything that Gideon needs is supplied in this brief statement, but I will be with you. I will be with you. And one of our greatest problems is we we continually forget that, that the Lord is with us. This was the promise that the Lord gave to Joshua, which enabled Joshua to lead the people on this great conquest. God is with you wherever you go. This is the same promise that God has given to you. I put in the outline Hebrews 13, verses 5 and 6. Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? This is, this is a word to you from Christ. I will be with you. You don't need to be afraid of anything. I will help you wherever you go. And whether that's the the Lord's calling to be content, as it is here in Hebrews 13, or to love your neighbor, or to witness to a lost relative, or to endure a hardship, the Lord is with you. And he says that we can be courageous and confident, even in the face of fearful circumstances, because Jesus is with us. So the Lord's promise is all we really need. Fourthly, though, we have, in addition to this, the cross and the empty tomb as the guarantees that Jesus is really with you. Now this is quite interesting, this interaction that happens now between Gideon and the angel of the Lord. Verse 17, he says to him, If now I have found favor in your sight, then show me a sign it is you who talk with me. So it seems at this point, you know, the angel is saying, I will go with you. Gideon is starting to perceive that whoever this person is, he's more than just a regular person. And so you're promising me God's presence with me. I want to know that you can actually deliver on that promise. So he asks for a sign. And 
so it, it, it's not quite clear what Gideon thinks is going to happen, but he wants the visitor to wait so that he can bring out an offering to him. One of the commentators calls this scheme of Gideon's a laboratory for God's assuring sign. Right? I, we're just going to do this, I'm going to make this offering, and I'm going to see what happens, but I'm creating a, an opportunity for you to do something impressive to give me a real sign that you are speaking from God. So the visitor agrees to wait, and uh, what does Gideon do? He goes in in verse 19, he prepares a young goat, so an animal has to die and to be prepared to be food. An unleavened bread from an ephah of flour. This is a large amount. It's like 30 pounds of flour. So this is many, many cakes of bread that he's making. And he puts the broth in a pot and he brings it all out. So this, and the word that's used here is a kind of free will offering that would be used to celebrate fellowship with God. It's also a word used to, to something you would give to a king as a way of showing uh, your, your subservience. So he's bringing this offering out. And the angel does not disappoint at all. He says, put it on this rock and then points his staff at it and fire bursts out of the rock and consumes it. Very reminiscent of the the book of Leviticus when the first uh, altar was consecrated. The fire just came out of it and consumed all the offering. So, uh, So this is exactly what Gideon wanted. He said, show me a sign and this is the sign. Uh, but recognize what, what the sign is. The sign is, I have received your offering. You, you have killed an innocent animal and you have brought it to me. You have brought the substance of your existence because you're poor and how you could get this much bread uh, means you're giving about all you have. And I've accepted that in a sense that the angel is saying as he consumes it in the fire. And so this is why I say what this is pointing us to is that work of Jesus Christ as our substitute, as the one who is our sacrifice. He's the ultimate sacrifice to which all of these sacrifices point. And it's Jesus who is the one who takes away the sin that separates us from God and enables us to be in the presence of God. And furthermore, it is because the Lord Jesus rose from the dead... Uh, that we know his sacrifice was accepted by God the Father, that he had paid the price, that he was alive again and will live forevermore. That's the evidence that the, the, the sacrifice was accepted by God. So that's why I'm saying this is the basis upon which Gideon is to have confidence in God, that his, the sacrifice is given and it is accepted by God. See, Jesus uses very similar language in Matthew 28, 18-20. After he has died and risen again, and he comes to his disciples and he says, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. There, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of of the age. Jesus here gives his disciples the most impossible task that people have ever been given. Uh, take the gospel to the whole world. You few people in Palestine, you take the gospel to the whole world. So, I mean, it's, it's completely un, uh, uh, something they cannot do. 
And it would have been terrifying to be given this charge. And it would have been totally natural for them to say, Who, me? Just like Gideon did. I, I can't do this. And yet, Jesus promises that He will be with them. And the fact that you and I are here today is evidence that He was with them, right? The Gospel went out to the whole world. People like us have heard it. And we're here today because Jesus did use them to take the Gospel all over the world. This is exactly the way He works. This is the guarantee that He was with them, that He had died and risen again victorious over the grave. And that is what the angel is trying to get Gideon to see in this text. This is what the Lord wants you to see as well. He is with you. And the fact that that tomb was empty proves that He lives forever and that His promise to be with you is one that He is keeping. And that makes a tremendous difference for us. So that leads us to our final point here, which is that we ought to serve God in the confidence that comes from having peace with Him. Now, verse 22, this is, I, I, actually, I, there's so, so much humor in this book. Uh, verse 22, Now Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord. So Gideon said, Alas, O Lord, for I've seen the angel of the Lord face to face. So the whole point of this exercise was, show me that you're really God. And then when he showed that he was really God, now Gideon's like, you know, no way, I'm, I'm a dead man. He's terrified. That, it seems like he's not quite sure, that's why I said, not quite sure what he really wanted to have happen. And what's behind this is the, 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 the idea that no one could see the face of the holy God and live. But again, God had accepted the sacrifice. And so what does God say? You shall not die. Peace be with you. Do not fear. You shall not die. And so Gideon, assured that he has peace with God, having met with God, builds an altar and calls the altar, the Lord is peace. Yahweh Shalom. And uh, whenever this was written, and we're not sure, but hundreds of years after that altar was still standing it tells us at the end of verse 24 that's really remarkable that he was able to celebrate and worship god in the midst of the situation that he was in uh, commentator barry webb says it well in the midst of war devastation anger frustration self-doubt and the threatening future which is still there he has peace. And, and that's really it. Peace with God is the greatest gift that we can have. Jesus gives that to his people. Gideon's faith, as we're going to see, is, is weak. But it is real faith. And he has peace with the living God because Jesus Christ has paid for his sins and given his righteousness. Romans 5, 1 and 2 says it this way. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Jesus gives you peace with God and through that access to God and the hope of glory. And, and that, is, that is the thing that makes you able to live in this world. Um, in a different way 
not a life of fear and doubt, but of faith and hope through your Lord who gives you peace. In 1972, Mary Kay Beard was on the FBI's most wanted list. She was arrested and uh, sentenced to an enormous amount of time in prison. But while she was in prison, uh, through the ministry of some people who had a, a ministry going on in the jail, she came to Christ. She actually came back to the faith that she had been raised in, but which she had turned away from as she started a life of crime. She was actually a safe cracker. So this is old time uh, robberies that she had done a whole bunch of. And God got a hold of her in that prison and changed her life. And by his grace, she was able to actually get out early. She joined Chuck Colson's prison fellowship ministry. And uh, she today is most remembered as the person who founded Angel Tree, uh, which is a ministry that tries to pair Christian churches with children whose parents are in jail uh, to minister to them, minister to millions of children. And in her testimony, she says the thing that God used to change her life and to bring her to faith was a Bible given to her by the Gideons, a Gideon Bible. And it's quite striking to think about what has happened uh, in the name of this judge that we're reading about when you realize who he was. He, He was a fearful, doubting man. And yet, he became what God said he was, a mighty man of valor by the grace of our Lord. And uh, that's what the Lord does with people like you and me. He takes us in all of our fear and our doubt, and he helps us look away from ourselves to look at him and his sufficiency. And he comes to us and he tells us, I am with you. And he pays for our sins and makes us children of the living God, and then literally changes us into the people he wants us to be. And that's the reason we can serve God with confidence, not because of ourselves, but because we have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's give him thanks for his great work. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're we're so grateful for your word and how it shows us uh, people here just like we are, people who struggle with fear and with doubt, who, who look at a difficult situation and are tempted to think, you've abandoned us, Lord, you're you're nowhere to be found. Lord, how we thank you for your patience. That's really the story here. It's your patience, it's your grace that you work with this man. And uh, that you show him who you are. uh, That you bring peace uh, between him and you. And that he knows that you are with him. And Lord, we thank you that that is what you have done for us through our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for the peace that you've given us through Christ. And we thank you for your promise to be with us at all times. Lord, we do pray you would help us to look at your 
perfect sufficiency and not at our own insufficiencies, and that by your grace we might have the confidence we need to be the people you are calling us to be. We pray these things in the name of our Savior. Amen. And now let's sing our praise to our God from Psalm 23. This well-known and beloved psalm speaks about the Lord as our shepherd, the one who is always with us, guiding us, protecting us, uh, even as we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Uh, Our Lord is with us to keep us. And we can celebrate uh, that wonderful truth. Let's stand and we'll sing Psalm 23, Selection A.